All right, as we prepare to hear from God's word, let's, let's turn our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have told us about your church, about your plan, your mission in this world, what Christ has come to do and what Christ is doing from heaven. We thank you that he's working, that he's building his church, and that we can come and worship you and hear from your word and hear from you, and that we can join together as a body who want to be like Christ, who seek to care for each other and love each other, to teach each other the truth about who you are and what you have done for us. And we thank you that we have a a picture of your love in Jesus Christ, that, that he is God become visible, lived among us, that we would see what love is, that love is leaving our, our rights and our privileges to serve and care for and sacrifice and die for another. We thank you that Christ has done that has not only shown us what love is, but has loved us that we might love, that we might serve and care for others. And so, Father, as we hear your word, as it comes to us, we pray that it would, would change our hearts and transform us and conform us into his image, that we might be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I prepared for this message today, I I had a question that kind of was racking in my mind that I wondered how you guys would answer. And I know some of you were actually here when Timberline Baptist Church began. um, Was it like 34, 35 years ago, roughly, something like that? I think it was about the time I was born, somewhere in there. Um, So just to put in perspective. um, So some of you might have been through this. Some of you might have been part of other church plants. Some of you might have just thought about it, but, but if you were going to start a church, what would it look like? How would you structure it? What would be the important things? And, and especially today, we're going to think about leadership and structure. I wonder if when you were modeling a church, if you think of a, a traditional CEO business model, you know, it's got the CEO and the board, is that how you'd want your church structured? Or nowadays, business is very different. We have Silicon Valley really affecting things. We have large companies who... Um, are full of young millennials about my age doing crazy things um, with their companies. Would you try to do more entrepreneurial Silicon Valley model? Um, I'm not even sure what that would look like, but I bet it would probably have a lot of volleyball pits and time off and things like that. I don't know. That's just what I read in the newspapers about what they do down there. Um, or would it be more like our government? You know, we have a government with two chambers of legislatures in Washington, D.C., and most of our states, and a president. Would it be something like that where we have different boards who, and then an executive branch? And maybe we just would ignore the, the other branch of government, but kind of something like that. What, what would it look like? What would it look like to structure a church? How would you want to see it structured? And I wonder, as you think about that, and if you were to ponder that, when the question would come in your mind, what does God say about how we ought to structure a church? What church leadership should look like? Well, today we're going to see that God has given two offices to the church, And they're both actually meant to serve God's Christ body. Deacons and elders are called to serve God's people 
But they're called to do that in different ways. We're going to turn to Acts 6, so if you have your Bibles out, um, you can turn there. If you're not sure where it is, or if you don't have your Bible, there are Bibles and the, the chairs, I almost said pews, but the chairs in front of you. Um, it will be on page 1012, if you're using those Bibles. 1012. So we're going to be in chapter 6. If you're not familiar with your Bible, the bigger number is the chapter number, the smaller number are the verses. you would stand as we read God's word. We stand at Timberline Baptist Church to, um, I think it just helps us to stop, to not get comfortable, and to to get us out of our seats so we can focus on the word as it's being presented. Um, This is God's word to us. Acts chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. So here in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, we're given a glimpse of what the church is actually kind of meant to be like, aren't we? In this passage, we're going to see that the congregation is actually maturing, it's growing And that therefore these deacon figures are appointed to serve the congregation, allowing the apostles to focus on serving the congregation in a different manner, more focused on on the preaching and teaching of God's word and on prayer, on the spiritual concerns of the congregation. And it's actually an interesting chapter because it describes a church in transition. It gives us a picture of what the church was and what it was becoming. And as I read this passage and as I read about the church here in Jerusalem in the very early pages of Acts, as as Jesus is building his church, that it actually doesn't really look much like a business, does it? It doesn't look like a tech startup. It doesn't look like our government in Washington, D.C. or in Olympia. In fact, the the analogy, the illustration I got of what it looked like and what church leadership here in Acts 6 looks like is, is not any of those things, but, but as I thought about it, it was actually more like a hospital with doctors and nurses caring for those who are in need. We see in Acts 6, growth is happening, right? That's the very, very early pages, the very first verse. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. So it's increasing in number. There's more disciples being added. People are coming to Christ. 
And that growth causes a little bit of a problem, doesn't it? It, it? it starts to create tension. As it grows, we see some growing pains. It's kind of like, you know, I have two kids. Um, one's four and one is one. So life changed when we brought the first child home, right? So my wife and I got married. That changed life dramatically. Our family grew a little bit as we joined together and became a family, became one. And then we added a kid. And I remember thinking, you know, we were, before it was like, okay, well, I don't know what we're going to do for dinner. Let's just, you know, go out or whatever and find something cheap or quick. And then you have a kid and you're like, well, that's not quite so easy anymore, is it? Because you have to think through, okay, now if I'm, we're going to even leave this house, we have to, like, make sure he has socks on, make sure he's in the car seat, like, all these things. Life becomes more complicated. And then you add another one to the mix, and life becomes even more complicated because you have to track down the first one who's now walking and running and doing whatever he wants, and you're chasing him down, and the other one is crying and needs a diaper change as soon as you walk out the door. Life becomes more complicated, doesn't it? There are growing pains when you add to your family. And some of you with more kids are probably just laughing and thinking, too, wait, wait till you try three or four or five or however many. But that's really what's going on here, isn't there? Um, we see the church is growing, and there's some pains associated with that. There's an, an assumption or an accusation that, that things aren't being done fairly, that, that as they care for each other, as they love each other, it's not being done fairly. And so the church, as we see it, is, it needs to change, it needs to grow, it needs to mature. And what we see is that an ordered church, the way that God has it designed, has elders especially, and then deacons to come alongside and to help. So first, let's look at elders. Well, here, I don't know if you noticed as I read this passage, we're going to talk primarily about elders and deacons today. If you have your bulletins, the outlines listed there, we're going to have first talk about elders, who they are, and then what they do. And then we're going to talk about deacons, who they are, and what they do. As I read this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but the term elders is not actually mentioned in this passage. It's kind of a funny passage because it is one where people often go to talk about elders and deacons in the two offices of the church, yet those two offices are not actually mentioned specifically. But what we see is the apostles here, well, they are a distinct group of people, the twelve, they call them. Um, these are the people that were with Jesus, that Jesus taught and sent out as his emissaries. And, and we know that the church is founded on their preaching, and we're building on that so at times, they actually function as elders, and that's kind of what they're doing right now in Acts 6. And as, if we were to trace this church, the church in Jerusalem, throughout the book of Acts, what we would see is that as it progresses, as the church grows, and as things develop, we see apostles and elders, and then eventually we're going to see as the churches go out, they're appointing elders in every city. That's what Paul tells us in Titus chapter 1. He actually tells Titus, and this is a verse that I think sometimes maybe we gloss over and don't think of, but he says, he says that to put what remains in order, to appoint elders, he tells Titus to appoint elders in order to put in order what remains. So these churches that are there, don't necessarily have elders yet, and they're not quite ordered right. A rightly ordered church has elders. It has men of character who are able to teach. So Titus, after Paul tells him, you know, appoint these elders, he tells them what they should look like. They're to be men of character. They're to love their families and wives and be good stewards of what God has given them and prove themselves. 
but it has one characteristic. So if we look at it, it, it really just defines what a mature Christian should look like, a mature man of God. But at the very end, and, and in the passage in 1 Timothy 3 as well, we see that they also must be able to teach. That is the one distinction, is that they're able to teach. And so we see in Acts 6, what the apostles are doing is they're, they're filling this role of elders in this early church as it begins, and they want to devote themselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word. They, need, they tell the congregation that they need to focus their attention on that rather than on serving tables. Elders are called by God to be ministers of God's word. And if we even think about this, we think the word minister, you know, he even says minister of God's word here. And that just means to serve. So in verse 4, minister of the word is what they want to be. They want to serve by serving God's word to the people. They want to care for them on a spiritual level because our goal is to make disciples who make disciples, and that is the primary concern, isn't it? These are men, elders are men, who have been transformed and shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they have put their trust in him, they put their faith, they believe the truth of who he is and who he said he is. And they display that fruit in their lives by living lives that are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, by a mature Christian but they're also able to help others live that life. They're able to teach others what it means to follow Jesus. They are are models both in their lives and in their teaching to show and to point people to Jesus Christ. And it's also important as we think about who are elders. I won't go through all the biblical evidence, but, but in the New Testament, it's really clear that the writers of the New Testament use the term elder. And when they use the term elder, they also use For that role, they use the word elder, but they also use overseer and pastor. So those three terms are actually used synonymously in the New Testament, and and there's ample evidence for that, and we will hint at some of that during this message tonight, today. So how do they care for God's people? How do they serve God's people? Well, they lead, they feed, and they protect. So they lead. How do elders lead? They lead through their lives, They model what it means to follow Christ, what it means to live as he would have us live, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Their lives should be filled with holiness and righteousness and love and kindness and gentleness. And they're able to teach others. They're bearing fruit in that. We learn in Titus that elders must be above reproach because he is going to steward God's house. He's going to be over God's house. He's going to be leading them. Elders are called to lead the flock. And as I thought about this, I thought about how they're called to lead the flock, not in a a domineering way, but to gently guide as shepherds guide a church. These men are called to guide, and their lives should be models to look at, and they should be people that we want to follow, shouldn't they? And they should be people who are able to explain and, and look and point you to how to better understand you, how you ought to live and what it looks like to live a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They lead by their teaching. They lead by their lives. I was struck because in 1 Timothy, when Paul talks about the qualifications for elders, immediately after that, he goes in and talks about how the church is a pillar and a buttress of truth. Elders need to be able to teach. They need to be able to discern and teach the truth about who God is and what he's called us to do. They build upon the foundation that these apostles in Acts 6 left us. 
but they also feed, don't they? And as I thought about feeding and what it means to be an elder, I I thought about the fact that elder and pastor are synonyms in the New Testament, and pastor simply means a shepherd. Elders are meant to serve the church. They are called to be shepherds, and they're, they're meant to feed Christ's flock. And I couldn't help but think about that vivid image in Psalm 23, where, where God is our shepherd, right? Do you know that passage? Do you know Psalm 23? It's very famous. It talks about how the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Brothers and sisters, the the goal of a shepherd, the goal of an elder is to feed the sheep. The public teaching ministry in the church is primarily handled by the elders. That doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions, but, but the public ministry, that's why, you know, up here sermons and preaching is almost always going to be done by one of our elders. That's going to be the typical norm that is practiced. They're going to be feeding the flock, but that's not the only way. They're going to be involved in your lives, shepherding you, caring for you, loving you, feeding you. And in their discipleship, they should be pointing you to Christ, right? We want to be a church who, of disciples who make disciples. And the way to do that is to point us to Jesus, to point us, to point others to the, the bread of life, the one who gives life, the one who nourishes our souls to point us to the one who is living water. So, brothers and sisters, elders are ones who will feed you through the word. They are going to point you to Christ. Elders should be leading in this, but but I want to just stop and think about and point out that this isn't rocket science here, is it? We're talking about making disciples, and maybe it's a, a way in which elders do it more so and lead in this area. That is true, but, but this is something that we all should be doing, right? In your relationships, are you pointing others to Jesus? Are you leading them and feeding them, leading them to Christ, leading them to those green pastures that they may eat of the word and be nourished, that their souls may be fed? As you hear the word preach, are you taking that and allowing it to change your heart and transform your lives so that when you go out from here in your relationships with each other, with your relationships with your family, with your relationships at work, is it affecting those? Is it, is it coming out? Is the word as it's being planted in you bearing fruit? Well, Elders are also called to protect. And as I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about our message last week when we talked about discipline. Um, if you remember, Nick talked about how he began with his passage on, on the 99 sheep and how if one strays to go after him. Here, when we're talking about protection, we're really talking about something that we're all called to do, but the elders are going to lead in that. It's our responsibility to seek a brother and sister who is straying from the faith, who, who might be caught in sin or questioning a doctrine of the faith or even denying it. In Acts 20, Paul actually goes to the church in Ephesus, the church that he planted, and he talks to the elders there, and he, he kind of gives them a last word as he leaves them, and he tells these elders to guard the flock that's been entrusted to them. 
because he knows that wolves are going to come in. Elders are pastors. They're shepherds called to guard his sheep. And their teaching should teach in such a way that it protects, that it helps warn you when, when danger is on the horizon. And if we went back to Acts 6, remember, these apostles wanted to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Brothers and sisters, your elders pray for you. Do you know that? Does that comfort you? I wonder, though, do you pray for each other? Because we should be modeling that, but that is something that is very much basic to the Christian faith, isn't it? To pray for one another. Elders are called to care for the sheep. They're called to pray for them, to minister to them through the word, and to to protect them in that. As they see them wandering, we should be praying, as you should be praying, and we should be leading you to do that. We should be leading you to, to know the scriptures so that you can be wary of false doctrines and teachings that are dangerous. And again, as I thought about this role of the elder, I couldn't help but look and think about how God does this very thing in Psalm 23. Again, the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Do you hear that? That's the, that's the words of feeling protected. That's the words of being able to trust God to shepherd and care for you, even when things look dangerous. Brothers and sisters, I hope you can trust your elders to care for you, to love you, to protect you. But I also want us to think through, how does this actually look in, in my life? We're talking a lot about elders, and, and I'm not an elder, right? If I asked you guys to raise your hand, I think there would be two of us who raised our hand if I said, who's an elder? Most of you are not. But these are all things that we should be striving for, right? Did you notice that? To lead God's people, to lead them to Christ, to feed them God's word, to protect them from danger? That is something we can all strive to do. And that's why when Paul tells Timothy the qualifications for elder, he says it is a noble task that they desire. We should all be desiring to be elder-like. And frankly, I think that is because we should desire to be Christ-like. When we look at Psalm 23, we see that God is our shepherd. God is a shepherd. He cares for his flock. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells the elders to care for the sheep because they will give an account for those sheep to the chief shepherd. Christ loves his flock. Elders are just under-shepherds trying to care for the flock, and and we should all strive to love and care for each other as as we are called to do. And and the call of the elder is to serve, to love and care for these people, the people that God has put before us, that we might present them before him, that they might be led to him and fed and protected. But deacons are also called to serve, aren't they? And that's, that's really where this passage lies as it sees this need and deacons are appointed to serve. So who are deacons? Well, if you remember, I mentioned that elders are not directly referenced in this text in Acts 6, and either are deacons, interestingly enough. Um, although what we see is these seven men are appointed for a task. 
And if you could look into the, the Greek, you would actually know that what they're called to do is to deacon. Deacon just means to serve. Um, so while the noun isn't used, the verb actually is used. They're called to serve tables. They're called to deacon. So we read that these apostles want to be preaching the word and praying for the congregation. They, they've already done a lot of deaconing. I think sometimes you just read this passage and I feel like maybe it puts the apostles in a bad light because it seems like they look at themselves as too good to serve. But that's not the case at all. Actually, they call themselves deacons of the word. Um, and if we looked earlier, we would see that the people were bringing their, their wealth and putting it before an offering before the disciples so that they could distribute it and care. But at this point, it just became too much for them to handle. It was distracting them from the other duties that God had called them to do. So he said, bring these men. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Deacons are called by the church to serve the church. And the goal of this service, what they do when they serve is to care for the church, unite the church, and support the ministry of the church. Care, unite, and support. What does it look like to be a deacon? Well, again, character matters. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 3 that deacons are to be people of character. We're, we're to be able to trust them with the, the serving the church. You know, I mean, interestingly, you, you, you look at this picture of what is painted, and if these men were not seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, would they be trustworthy to put in charge of the money, or I mean of the food and things like that? These are called to serve the church. We need to be able to trust them. They need to hold to the faith because they're called to do the service and love for the church. And they're called to care. What do deacons do? Well, they care for the church. And what we see is pretty simple here. They, they care for the physical needs of the church. There's a need that arises. Remember those growing pains? We see that growing pain, right? That, that new kid has come into the family, and the older kid is like, wait, wait, where's my attention? Where's this? You know? And there's this struggle and this tension breaking. They need to care for them. They need to love them. Do you remember John 13? I feel like I've quoted this a lot after going through 1 John because I feel like it, it, it really provides in a very much a, a spine or a foundation for 1 John. John 13, Jesus tells his disciples that the world will know that they are his disciples if they love one another as he has loved them. Deacons, as servants of the church, as those who are called to care for the church, exhibit that love. They care for the needs, and they display to the world that we love each other and care for each other. That's what we see in Acts 6. I think it's remarkable that simply the next verse, so we hear that they are appointed and they're doing this deed of caring for the widows in the church. And I don't think it's an accident that in verse 7, what we read is Luke tells us, and the word of God continued to increase. So right there we see that they have cared for the body. The word is increasing. The number of disciples is multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. 
It's no accident that as these people care for one another and they find a way to love and care for each other that the word is going out and people are coming to faith. We can't forget that so often, I think we forget that how we are all tied together, physical, spiritual, mental beings. I mean, could you imagine coming into Sunday morning always hungry because you were lacking food? and then trying to concentrate and focus on the sermon. It would affect your ability to flourish, to grow spiritually, wouldn't it? That's one um, kind of easy example there, but, but I, I wonder if you've thought about that, how our physical well-being, how we care for our needs, actually affects our ability to grow spiritually. But deacons are not called just to care for the needs of the church. They're called to unite the church. That's what they do. They maintain the unity of flock. I couldn't help but think about what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, what happened here is as things weren't taken care of, there was a division in the church. The church lacked unity, didn't it? The, the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. These widows were, they were saying, these widows are being taken care of, these ones not as well. Like, what's going on here? Like, we're getting offended. There was a disruption in the unity of Christ. It seemed that they were playing favorites. But in Christ, all are one. The unity of the church is crucial to a display of the gospel, isn't it? Isn't that what Paul is talking about in Galatians? All in Christ are one. As we understand that we have sinned and fallen from we have disobeyed God and, and ruptured that relationship with him, all of us equally we need a Savior, and that is Christ. And therefore, we are all have to come before the cross the same. But here we see the unity threatened. The church is threatened. We find men of character that they're appointed for the, the sacrifice to lovely, love and sacrifice for the church in the way that Christ actually would. They become his hands and his feet. You see, as I thought about this analogy of the hospital, I thought about how, in some respects, we need, if we go to the hospital, if we need care, we need doctors to diagnose, we need doctors to prescribe, we need doctors to, to do those things, and we care about that. That is good, but we also need nurses to, to take those orders and kind of live them out, don't we? And I, I feel like nur our deacons kind of fill that nurse role in the church in a very real way. They are the hands and feet at times, of the teaching and preaching. See, these men in Acts 6, there was a wound that was brewing and festering. And rather than doing something that would increase that wound, increase the festering, they actually became a salve on that wound. They healed it. They were neosporin on the cut. One author actually writes of deacons, and this is a quote that, that I had to include because it was so wonderful and beautiful. Um, so 
Please listen in. He says of deacons, they are to be builders of the church by being servants who help bind us together with cords of kindness and loving service. They are to be builders of the church by being servants who help bind us together with cords of kindness and of loving service. You see, elders are, I mean, deacons are called to bind us together with their loving service, their care for us. But you see, when they do that, when they, when they actually care for us and they unite us, they support the work of the ministry that is going forward, they support the church. See, they bring something that is vital to the unity of the church and therefore its mission. As the church grows, it needs people like deacons to lead the charge in caring for the needs that that particular church has. So as we grow, sometimes we have even felt attention here, and we don't have the people who, we have people who come and serve, but, but who have not had that official title of deacon to do it. Um, we have people who come along and help and serve, and we need those people. We need people who are willing to serve and to lay their lives down for the sake of the church that unity is not broken, that the ministry goes forward, that the world can see the love that we have for each other. There are times when we need people to care for the physical needs of the church because the elders can't do everything. We see that there was a flurry of people coming to the church. And that caused a rift that caused disunity. But these men, with their loving and their care and their kindness, knit this body back together that it could continue growing. You see, deacons were not a corporate board or the church's version of it. They were not a separate power block in the church, but they were a group of individuals who served the church because they loved Jesus. And by doing that service, they allowed the ministry of the church to go forward. They allowed the ministry to, to go forward and people to know Christ and be taught about him. A full and a healthy ministry where the word was preached. And the leaders could devote themselves to prayer and to the word. And while this happened, we see these deacons living that out, that gospel out. Loving and caring for them. As a church grows, there are growing pains, and deacons are meant to help support the church as it grows. And in doing so, they actually model a Christ-like character to us. They become a vital piece in our attempt to demonstrate our love for one another. But I want us not to, not to gloss over how this passage ends. It's not just simply a a fairy tale where it ends happily ever after. Um, it actually ends very specifically kind of where it started, right? It comes right back to the start. There is growth. There is growth at the very beginning. Then there's that snag. And these men come and show that love, and they serve as deacons of the church. And their loving service allows the mission of the church to continue. Disciples are being made. People are coming to know Jesus. Don't underestimate how much, how important, how vital it is to care for the church, to unite the church, and to strive for unity in our body. 
Because doing that supports the work of the church and the growth of the gospel. So as we look at these two offices in the church, we, we have to realize that they are very countercultural. I find it interesting that, that sometimes maybe if we read this passage out of context, that the elders, the apostles, would seem like they're too good for service, but they actually call themselves service servants. They say that they're going to serve, and they, they humble themselves. And we have two ways in which these offices actually serve. And as I read this and thought about this, I couldn't help but think about a passage in Mark 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. And I'll just summarize part of it. Um, so what we see in Mark 10 is James and John, they come to Jesus and they say, we want to be, when your kingdom comes, we want to be at your right hand and at your left hand. They want the places of power. They want what the world goes after. And Jesus rebukes them and, and tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And those two terms, to drink the cup and to be baptized, are referring to his death. And of course, they say they are. They're ready to do anything to get those places of power. And then the ten become jealous, the other ten. Because you see, they thought of power and they thought of Christ's kingdom in the way that the world thinks of it. Jesus calls them to him and says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your, your servant, your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And here's the kicker. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's actually the same word that's used in Acts 6. It's, it's to deacon. Jesus came not to be deaconed, not to be served, but to deacon, to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, when we think about leadership in the church, we should think about servant leadership. We should think about people who are willing to give themselves for the sake of the gospel. They're willing to give themselves to the teaching and preaching of the word so people might know and grow in the faith and be protected. And we need to think about deacons who are willing to lay down their lives to care for the physical needs of the church, to help the ministry go forward, to support and encourage that ministry. Because Jesus himself came to serve. And so as we think about leadership in the church, as we think about our own lives, I want you to take what you've learned here and thought about. Obviously, eldership is, is meant for men, but we can't all be elders. We can't all be deacons. But we can all serve. We can all shepherd and care. And we should always be striving to be like these and to, and to especially be like them as Christ is like them. And it begins with believing the gospel that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve. And he served by laying down his life that we might be made right with God. 
And if you have not been made right with God, if you don't, haven't followed Jesus yet, I would encourage you to think about what that would look like and mean. I would be happy to talk with you about it or somebody next to you, um, whoever you came with. If you have questions about what it would look like to follow Christ, please find somebody and talk to them about it today. Jesus came to ransom us so that we might also be like him and serve. Brothers and sisters, Elders and deacons reveal Jesus to the church. They glorify God in doing so. And the world should see that. They should see that love of how we care for one another and how we love one another. And this should be something that, that our leaders do and, and are examples of. But it's something that we all need to strive to do as well. As we come into a hospital that is the church, we need to work together so that we all might be healed of our disease, that we all might be made well and care for each other and love one another. And as we conclude and as we prepare for communion, I can't help but just to stop and to think about the fact that when we talk about being a servant to all, as we talk about serving and caring for one another, that as we take communion, we are partaking of an example of that service, of Jesus Christ who laid down his life. Brothers and sisters, are we ready to lay down our lives for those around us? For the fellow members of this church? Are we willing to die to ourselves? that they may be served, and that the ministry of the gospel may go forward. As you think about that, will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have been so gracious and kind and loving as to give to our church brothers and sisters who are willing to serve and to care for us and to love us, to, to lead us to Christ, to feed us the word and to protect us from danger, that we have people around us that might care for us, that might strive for unity with us, and that might help us in supporting the ministry of the word and the gospel. Lord, we pray that as, as this church grows, that, that more men and women would join in that mission whether or not they have titles, Lord, that, that this church would be characterized by a love that we have for one another, that, that proclaims to the world the love that you, that Christ had for his disciples, for his church. We thank you so much that Christ came to serve and to die for us, that we might have life, that we might give ourselves to, to lives of service for the sake of the gospel. In his name, amen. As we prepare to take communion, I wonder if you have any way